Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. And he called the twelve, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, then you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. These verses describe the first sending forth of the apostles to preach. The great head of the church made proof of his ministers before he left them alone in the world. He taught them to try their own powers of teaching and to find out their own weaknesses while he was yet with them. Thus, on the one hand, he was enabled to correct their mistakes. Thus, on the other, they were trained for the work they were one day to do, and were not novices when finally left to themselves. Well would it be for the church if all ministers of the gospel were prepared for their duty in like manner, and did not so often take up their office untried, unproven, and unexperienced. Let us observe in these two verses how our Lord Jesus Christ sent forth his apostles two by two. Mark is the only evangelist who mentions this fact. It is one that deserves special notice. There can be no doubt that this fact is meant to teach us the advantages of Christian company to all who work for Christ. The wise man had good reason for saying, Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. Two men together will do more work than two men individually. They will help one another in judgment and commit fewer mistakes. They will aid one another in difficulties and less often fail. They will stir one another up when tempted to idleness and less often relapse into indolence and indifference. They will comfort one another in times of trial and be less often cast down. Woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he is not another to help him up. Ecclesiastes 4.10 It is probable that this principle is not sufficiently remembered in the Church of Christ in these latter days. The harvest is undoubtedly great all over the world, both at home and abroad. The laborers are unquestionably few, and the supply of faithful men far less than the demand. The arguments for sending out men one by one under existing circumstances are undeniably strong and weighty. But still the conduct of our Lord in this place is a striking fact. The fact that there is hardly a single case in the Acts where we find Paul or any other apostle working entirely alone is another remarkable circumstance. It is difficult to avoid the conclusion that if the rule of going forth two by two had been more strictly observed, the missionary field would have yielded larger results than it has. One thing at all events is clear, that it is the duty of all workers of Christ to work together and help one another whenever they can. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ministers and missionaries and district visitors and Sunday school teachers should take opportunities for meeting and taking sweet counsel together. 
The words of Paul contain a truth which is too often forgotten. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us observe in the second place what solemn words our Lord uses about those who will not receive nor hear his ministers. He says, It shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This is a truth which we find very frequently laid down in the Gospels. It is painful to think how entirely it is overlooked by many. Thousands appear to suppose that so long as they go to church and do not murder or steal or cheat or openly break any of God's commandments, they are in no great danger. They forget that it needs something more than mere abstinence from outward irregularities to save a man's soul. They do not see that one of the greatest sins a man can commit in the sight of God is to hear the gospel of Christ and not believe it. To be invited to repent and believe, and yet to remain careless and unbelieving. In short, to reject the gospel will sink a man to the lowest place in hell. Let us never turn away from a passage like this without asking ourselves, what are we doing with the gospel? We live in a Christian land. We have the Bible in our houses. We hear the gospel of salvation frequently every year. But have we received it into our hearts? Have we really obeyed it in our own lives? Have we, in short, laid hold of the hope set before us, taken up the cross, and followed Christ? If not, we are far worse than the heathen who bow down to stocks and stones. We are far more guilty than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They never heard the gospel, and therefore never rejected it. But as for us, we hear the gospel, and yet will not believe. May we search our own hearts and take heed that we do not ruin our own souls. Let us observe in the last place what was the doctrine which our Lord's apostles preached. We read that they went out and preached that men should repent. The necessity of repentance may seem at first sight a very simple and elementary doctrine, and yet volumes might be written to show the fullness of the doctrine and the suitableness of it to every age and time, and to every rank and class of mankind. It is inseparably connected with right views of God, of human nature, of sin, of Christ, of holiness, and of heaven. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need to be brought to a sense of their sins, to sorrow for them, to a willingness to give them up, and to a hunger and thirst after pardon. All, in a word, need to be born again and to flee to Christ. This is repentance unto life. Nothing less than this is required for the salvation of any man. Nothing less than this ought to be pressed on men by everyone who professes to teach Bible religion. We must bid men repent if we would walk in the steps of the apostles, and when they have repented, we must bid them to repent more and more to their last day. Have we ourselves repented? This, after all, is the question that concerns us most. It is well to know what the apostles taught. It is well to be familiar with the whole system of Christian doctrine. But it is far better to know repentance by experience and to feel it inwardly in our hearts. 
May we never rest until we know and feel that we have repented. There are no impenitent people in the kingdom of heaven. All who enter in there have felt, mourned over, forsaken, and sought pardon for sin. This must be our experience if we hope to be saved. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, this principle of two-by-two from Ecclesiastes is often applied to marriage, but here, Ryle rightly applies it to the church. Is this what we often see? Is this something we desire when we go to do good for others and serve others? Are we seeking to stir up others to love and good works? Secondly, what are we doing with the gospel? We might not live in a Christian land, but if you are listening to this podcast, you probably have a Bible and you've heard the gospel. But have we received it into our hearts? Have we really obeyed it in our lives? And have we, in short, laid hold of the hope set before us, taken up the cross, and followed Christ? And lastly, beloved brother or sister, have we felt, mourned for, forsaken, and sought pardon for sin?